Remember back to when you were a kid and grown-ups asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you ever become that person? Or did you ever have a moment in high school or college where you realized what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? Did that ever come to pass? For some people, our dreams and reality don't always meet up the way we want them to. But that doesn't mean that you can't make them happen. Today on Passions, we're going to meet someone who is living the dream, their dream. They took the plunge and are doing what they love for a living, and they talked with us in order to encourage you to do what it takes to get you doing what you love. Ready? Hey, this is Alec. This week, I got to meet up with Andrew Hatling. Andrew is a freelance film and TV producer here in Minneapolis. He's produced and filmed videos, short films, and advertisements all over the world. He's passionate about storytelling and filmmaking, and dreams of making a feature-length documentary that addresses social justice issues around the world. My name is Andrew Hatling. I'm 26 years old, and I'm a Minnesota native currently living in Minneapolis. This is Andrew Hatling. Andrew is a Minnesota native from Watertown, Minnesota, a city about 40 minutes west of Minneapolis. Currently, Andrew is working as a freelance producer in the Twin Cities metro area. Currently, I am a freelance producer, but I'm also doing a little bit of editing, a little bit of cinematography, shooting um, on the side, so sort of a hodgepodge of a bunch of different types of film-related work, basically. And for those who might not know exactly what a producer might do, I asked Andrew to clarify. The best way to describe a producer is probably simply a problem solver, so someone who takes any issue as it arises along the phase of, you know, in this case, video production and tries to figure out a solution for it. Um, so that starts at the very beginning with taking a concept that might be challenging with the budget that they have or the timeline that they have and trying to find a way to make either of those two things work with the concept. Um, and then obviously down the road as things change, as different feedback comes in, you're kind of constantly shaping and reshaping how you approach something in order to ultimately get it done on time and on budget, and hopefully something that's strong, creative, that follows through on the actual original goal of what they wanted to make. But before Andrew was a producer, he was first introduced to movie making as a kid, and has been hooked ever since. Yeah, I didn't necessarily always want to be a producer. I just knew from a very early age that I was obsessed, is probably a good word, with film. Um, when I was like five or six years old, my brother, would take our old height video camera and drag me and my sisters outside to shoot a really ridiculous video. And you know, every week it would be something different. And he would come up with the idea and basically direct it. And as he got older, and he was much older than me, so as he got older, I kind of took over that responsibility and dragged my sisters and then eventually my friends and kind of just always was trying to figure out how you do this stuff, whether it's shooting or editing or directing or writing and just kind of that whole process. Um, so growing up I was always doing multiple roles which is interesting because now I'm sort of doing that professionally too and it sort of has carried it over that way. When I was 10 years old I got a new camera that like was my own and I never put it down. I was shooting everything all the time and all of it was pretty much nonsense but it's what kind of got that spark started in me and just been chasing it ever since. I asked Andrew if he could remember the moment he knew what his dream job would be. 
and he said it all comes back to his first camera. When I got that camera, it was like, this is what I meant to do. It was kind of, I felt, I felt like a resonance with, with that being my future. And, you know, family and friends would be like, Andrew and the camera, it's sort of always together and it's hard to separate. And so from a very early age, I knew that's definitely what I wanted to do. One of the issues that Andrew faced was that his school didn't provide him a creative outlet for videography. But that didn't stop Andrew from doing what he could do on his own. The biggest challenge for me in high school was I grew up in a small town in the western suburbs of Minneapolis. And so I was really the only person that was interested in film. And so any, anything I wanted to do with film was like pulling teeth to get other people to help me out on a project. And, um, you know, try to keep it fun and a fun environment for whenever we did things, which was literally how most of my friends and I spent our summers was making videos. Um, but it got to a point where I was sort of like tapped out on what I could do with my friends and whatnot in Watertown. Um, so I did kind of two things. One, I started a film festival where it was literally like, okay, I can't get film here in, in Watertown, but I can't really go anywhere else to get it because I was like 14 at the time. So I was like, well, I'll make the films come to me. So kind of created this film festival and tried to just draw as many random videos from as many different people as I could to Watertown and ultimately got to build a lot of relationships off of that. So we would, you know, by the time I graduated high school, we had taken over the high school auditorium and you know we had bands playing and we had you know interviews with filmmakers and um, obviously the videos were from filmmakers around the world and so it sort of grew into this thing where I was like literally being able to experience all this film and adjust it and learn from it and um, talk with these filmmakers and that was what really set in stone like this is what I need to do this is what I meant to do so it became not just a hobby but seriously a passion and um, so then by the time I you know, was getting ready to go to college, it was clear that was what I wanted to do and became more obvious that the place to do that would be LA. Um, so that's what eventually brought me out to LA to pursue film there. Does the film festival still happen? It did happen for a few years after I left and then it was just one of those things again. Like I had a friend who kind of took it over and by the time they graduated, there wasn't really a, you know, a follower to, to take over from there. After high school, Andrew moved to California in order to study filmmaking at Biola University. I went to school at Biola University, which is a small, private Christian liberal arts school just outside of Los Angeles. And um, I was drawn, one, by the location, but also as far as film programs go within those types of universities, I, I think they really, they really stood out. And um, it, it felt like a really good opportunity to kind of get more hands-on and you know a lot of universities I think are sort of read the book and take the test and but at Biola it was, it was a chance to like day one you're working with cameras and lights and all that and getting that experience and so I think it really helped to take what I had wanted to do in high school and elevate it to the next level just being hands-on and, and producing stuff and being with people who are equally passionate to kind of pursue that with me and challenge me and teach me and everything else along the way. Andrew chose California for two reasons, one being the warm weather, and two being Biola's proximity to Los Angeles and the filmmaking capital of the world, Hollywood. What I wanted to do ended up sort of becoming my own thing. Like, I think uh, 
a school like Biola can very easily become a bubble and they literally call it, not the school, but everyone there calls it the Biola bubble and I think that's maybe a thing in other similar schools. Um, and so people get very kind of exclusive and very inside and stay within that network. So for me, I was frustrated by that, seeing that and also thinking long term, I was like, this, this, what am I going to do with this? Like, if, if all I have is this small network and I'm in this amazing city for this, what am I going to do with that? So that kind of forced me to, again, sort of step outside of what I had and seek other things. So it was, it was cool because I was able to build relationships with other people and um, start working um, while in school still and, and kind of then transition into working full time, doing what I wanted to do right out of school, which was really exciting, but also frightening too, because I still felt kind of in over my head with, with everything that I was doing. Andrew gained a lot of experience during his time at Biola and LA, but he wasn't so sure if film school is completely necessary to make a living in videography. I'm very split. Here are the pros and cons. Would I recommend film school to somebody? Is The answer to that is very dependent on the individual, I think. In some ways, film school is amazing because it brings you into this community all of a sudden of these, again, equally passionate people, people that are really in love with this art and who really want to explore this and dig into it deeper. Um, and in that sense, it's kind of hard to find that anywhere else and then have, obviously, the opportunity to build a network and a community around that. Um, but at the same time, film is not something you need a degree in. It's not something you have to have to get a job. Um, but you do have to know people to build those relationships and make your way and put your foot in the door. So it's sort of a, it's really dependent on the individual. How much willpower do you have to make it work? And if you, you feel really driven and, and really inspired, you can probably make it work without going to school. Um, that said, I think there's a lot to be said about going to school, not necessarily for film, but in getting a liberal arts education and challenging yourself to think differently about the world and to open your mind to um, a diverse group of people, which is hopefully what your classes represent, but also um, just just to, to think about philosophy in a way that you probably never have before, to think about religion in a way you never have before, to dig into areas of science that you got to choose because that's a class you wanted to take. Um, and there's you know, there's really no other way you can do that than to be in a, an academic environment like that. So that would probably be the biggest case I would make for going to, to just school in general is to just round yourself out as a human being. So then if you go into film, you can contribute a unique voice to it. And it's something with some substance behind it versus just, I've got a film degree and I like to make movies, but it's grounded in something bigger and more complex. College is also expensive. And Andrew isn't entirely sure if he would pick Biola again, if he had the opportunity. I think the biggest thing that people don't really think about is the financial burden that, that college puts on you. And as a 18-year-old as a kid enrolling into college, I was taking out a lot of loans, but no one was communicating what that meant or what that would look like to me long term. And so as I sit here now, years later, and I'm paying for that, I'm realizing, one, how broken of a system we have in this country as far as education is approached and in not communicating the effects of that and also not offering that um, in a way that's more manageable to the masses because education is so powerful. So there's that side of it, but then also, um, I probably wouldn't go to Biola again. Um, I don't know, I don't think Biola challenged me the ways I wanted to. I built relationships that challenged me um, and individuals that I obviously wouldn't have met otherwise, but 
I don't think it challenged me to think about the world and to experience the world in a new way. And it was really me seeking out relationships and kind of opportunities that did that. So in some ways I kind of regret that, but also I did get so much out of it. I mean, I learned a lot for sure, but the relationships that I built ultimately make me say, well, that was worth it, even if I'm still paying for it, you know, seriously, for the next few years even. Um, those relationships mean the world to me, and I wouldn't want to lose those. Andrew stayed in L.A. for a total of five years, three of those being at Biola, and two working out in L.A. After L.A., Andrew moved to the East Coast to do marketing at a university in New York, but he never felt quite at home anywhere but Minnesota. So Andrew moved to Minneapolis and started working at Periscope, an advertising agency in downtown Minneapolis. Minnesota has this weird effect on people that it always pulls them back, I think. It, you you want to leave, as, and you, all you want to do is leave, but then eventually, for some reason, everyone always comes back. And so I was, just like everyone else, came back, missing home, missing the lakes, missing the summer days and all that. So, yeah, and then another element to that, too, was the, the job opportunity, and I had a chance to work in that agency here in Minneapolis called Periscope. It's a really interesting place. It's a, it's a company that's going through a lot of change in trying to kind of understand the way the world is changing. Um, their slogan is, do things people love, which I think is, is interesting for a company that's you know, ultimately trying to draw in passionate people and then also create work that reflects that passion and, and bring those two things together. And that's a challenge in a world where there's so much content being thrown at us every single day, whether we drive down the street or turn on our phone or turn on the TV. There's just this stuff that's being thrown at us, and so it's tough to stand out in. So it was a cool company in that sense, and that their mission was to do something that connects to the individual that you know that you can find passion in. And so it was a fun environment to be in that sense because I definitely grew through there. During his time at Periscope, Andrew got to work with a lot of different clients, like musicians, sports teams, and a snowmobile manufacturer. Um, I did a really wide variety of work from working on healthcare with United Healthcare and working on action sports with Articat, working on professional sports with the Minnesota Twins, working in agriculture for BASF, working for Great Clips and Trolley Candy and like just really across the board. It was, it was really cool just to dive into different projects, whether it's, you know, shooting in the mountains at the Rocky Mountains with a snowmobile or in the desert with a side-by-side -side or in Florida for spring training. Um, so it was a really great opportunity to, again, travel and to learn about all these different industries that I didn't have a lot of experience in. Um, and then do work that was really dynamic too, whether it was broadcast work for TV or social content for Instagram or, uh, you know, long-form um, storytelling work for even a website or, um, you know, YouTube or something like that. And so it was a really great chance to just grow and challenge myself again. But one downside to working in a corporate environment is that you're not ultimately calling the shots, and you don't always get to choose what you work on. And in Andrew's case, some of the work you might find yourself doing isn't in line with your personal beliefs. I started to work on a lot of work that was challenging me morally. For example, that agricultural work, I was working on an account that um, created pesticides. And when I think about my morals and my kind of foundation of my spirituality. I, the environment is a really important thing. And, um, 
I feel that yes. that's a kind of a God-inspired thing, you know, that idea of caring for the environment and whatnot. And I started to kind of look at the work I was doing and saying, is my the work I'm doing reflective of the things that I stand for and who I want to be and ultimately what I want to do with my life. But I finally just reached a point where I was like, I can do this now or spend five years just falling further and further away from that thing that I set out for in the first place. And for Andrew, that meant leaving Periscope and chasing after projects and work that aligned more closely with his own beliefs and passions. I drew a line in the sand and said, I'm out. In the pursuit of trying to just drive towards work that truly is reflective of who I am, of what I am to do, of, of what I am ultimately passionate about, and hopefully have some sort of an impact on the world for good versus, you know, in a sense for bad or for, for things that just didn't align with who I am. And I did it, and I didn't have a plan in place counter to everyone around me who was saying, you should probably, you know, wait till you have another job lined up or wait till you have some clients built up or get your company established. And I was like, yeah, I could do that, but it's going to take five times longer since I'm working full time versus just doing it and focusing on that. And hopefully this passion in me has some ability to maintain, you know, a steady flow of work. Um, and so far it's worked, knock on wood. Yeah, it's, it's scary at the same time. I mean, it, it was one of the most terrifying things to go in and hand that letter and say, you know, I'm jumping. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm jumping. But it's also the most freeing and liberating thing. And I feel like just, just like that, I'm all of a sudden like back in line with myself. And I feel more connected to that, inspired by it. Um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Now that he's left Periscope, Andrew feels empowered and enabled to do whatever he wants professionally. But where his heart is truly leading him can be traced back to the root of filmmaking itself, telling stories. One of the things that early on drew me to film was how powerful of a medium it was to, one, reach a large audience in a you know relatively simple manner of posting a video, um, but also just the, the process of film and, and trying to communicate a story and assemble a story is a really big challenge. And knowing the impact that the work I can do have has always made me feel like I should ultimately be doing that, is trying to have an impact in the world. And that kind of naturally leads to documentary work, where you're able to tell real stories of real people, whether they're doing amazing work and it's inspiring other people to do amazing work, or it's people in really terrible situations and it's inspiring people to help do something about that situation and try to make a difference. And I find myself really drawn to that latter one of just trying to lift people up and wanting to make something that speaks to other people through the circumstances that, you know, billions of other people in the world are faced with. So, you know, I've, I've had a chance to travel um, quite a bit and almost a year ago I went to India and just like broke down coming back and adjusting to um, life again back here, I guess, and, and trying to reconcile why I had it the way I had it and these people didn't. And so I think looking at that or looking at, you know, circumstances in Syria, like these are places that have powerful stories that aren't necessarily communicated very effectively to Western audiences. And knowing that we have the resources to potentially help them is something that's encouraging to me. With this in mind, I asked Andrew that if he had an unlimited budget, what would be his dream production? If I had an unlimited budget, I would love to use that to produce a feature-length documentary. And I don't necessarily know the subject matter yet, but it would probably be driven towards that element of, you know, kind of social justice or, or fighting to give a voice to people that don't necessarily have one. And 
and hopefully along the way working with people that I, I love, you know, a crew and a team to tell that story that um, can challenge me and, and also support that, that same vision. Andrew's story is inspiring and scary in many ways. He figured out at an early age what he wanted to do, and he chased it with all his might and is doing what he loves. He had to make some hard decisions along the way, but even in the midst of these tough decisions, Andrew chose stability of character over stability of a paycheck. Near the end of our interview, I asked Andrew if he had any advice for someone who is just developing a passion for something and how to nurture and sustain that passion over a lifetime. I think the most important thing to keep in mind if, if you're aware of what your passion is, which some people, you know, spend a lifetime just trying to figure that out what it is. So to be in a place where you're, you know, maybe in your 20s and you're aware of that and you know what it is, I think the biggest thing is spend the rest of your life fighting for that thing. And if you do that, you will be nothing but successful. There's nothing that will stop you from being successful if you fight your entire life to pursue that passion. And the challenge is you're going to have a million things that come up against that. And you know, as, as you change, as the circumstances around you change, and as you grow, there's going to be so many things trying to prevent you from reaching whatever it is you have in mind. But I think if you look at the people that are successful in the world, it's because they found that passion and they did everything they could to pursue it. Um, so I feel like that's a very cliche thing to say, like, pursue your dreams. But like boiling it down to, to thinking about like, well, what does that look like in the real world when you have all these things being thrown at you, whether it's, you know, you got to pay your school loans, you've got a family, you've got kids now and you got to whatever. If you can do all those things while still driving towards that, that ambition. And I think that's the most important thing. One other thing with that too is make sure that your passion is not just self-centered, right? I have friends who are musicians and sometimes I wonder like, are you doing this because this is truly what you're passionate about or because it's a, a way to get famous? So it's, I think it's, you know, come back to that place too of like, you're not here to get 10,000 followers on Instagram and then 100,000 or whatever. It's like, you're here for something more than that because we all are. And it's sometimes hard to know what that means or what that looks like, but understanding that and accepting that and then, again, spend as long as you need to to discover what that means, but then tying that to your passion and hopefully doing something that's meaningful in the world so that when it's all said and done, you've done something that's, that made a difference. I think that's extremely important. We want to thank Andrew for giving his time for this interview and for really sharing his heart with you guys. If you're interested in learning more about videography, just pick up a camera and start playing and dreaming. That's what Andrew did. And look at where it's gotten him. Passions don't always have to start big. Sometimes you just have to get up, try it, fail, and try again. And that's it for Passions this week. We hope you found yourself feeling as passionate about something as Andrew is with videography and storytelling. Passions is produced by Alex Schaefer and can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So until next week, keep pushing yourself to be who you've always wanted to be. This is Alec, signing off. Thank you.